0: are listening to the One Hope Church podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, Crawfords. I, I, love, I love your ministry. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all ethne, of all ethnic groups. And um, you're definitely a part of doing that. I'm going to introduce and reintroduce myself to some of you. My name is Ivan Veldheisen. This is my wonderful wife, Susan. Um, We are a part of Converge. I'm a senior vice president at Converge. I've decided that means that I'm getting really old. (laughs) But... uh, Uh, I lead the International Ministries Department for Converge. Converge is a denomination, a network of churches across the U.S., 1,500 churches. Whether you know it or not, you are a Converge congregation. So, um, So Susan and I, for almost the last 12 years, have led the International Ministries Department for Converge. Before that, we were in pastoral ministry for 28 years in Minnesota, and we love, we love the local church. Just love the local church. And uh, right now, what we do um, for church um, is a home church in our neighborhood. We have a home church. We had two other small home churches start from ours. um, And uh, um, we're looking for a real network that eventually will be multiplying home churches. It's been kind of neat because in the about three years now, I guess, we've been going. We've seen 10 baptisms um, in our home church, home church network, and we plan to see a lot more than that in time as well. But that gives you a little idea of who we are. Um, and uh, it's a privilege for me to come and just share with you. By the way, I'm a friend with your pastor, Justin, and with one of your elders, John Baxter. He's actually on our international ministries team at Converge. And so uh, it's a privilege for me to come and just uh, share God's word with you again this afternoon for a few minutes. I'd like us to just have a prayer uh, before we look into the word. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the church, Christ's body. And that as we gather together, you are here with us. And you make it worth us being a church together. And we're just so grateful. We pray that as we look into your word, that you, Holy Spirit, would be our teacher. That you would open our minds and our hearts and our wills to understand and receive what you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter five, starting at verse 17. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 5 is about it's about the church and how to bring order to the church and how to bring health how to keep a church healthy again paul is writing to his disciple his mentee timothy and he's helping him understand how to make sure that the church is healthy and functioning in a way that will help it to endure effectively long term and in the first part of first timothy chapter 5 Paul gives Timothy instructions about older men, about younger men, about women, and about widows. And then we come to this later section of 1 Timothy chapter five, and it's about elders. So I'm wondering, uh, you know, for those who have the, the office or the role of elder here at One Hope, would you just stand for a moment? Just stand if you're a, an elder. Okay, I think we, yeah, I thought, we'd just have a couple. All right. Oh, and Justin is here. What do you know? Justin too. Very good. I didn't even see you here today. That's awesome. All right. I am your friend, right? <laughs> Did you sneak in today? <laughs> I love it. So uh, this is just a, a great passage that talks about how to to well, we'll look at it, but how to honor your elders, how to hold accountability to your elders and um, how to have really healthy elders. And and what that means is you're going to have a healthy church. So we're going to look at that. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. All right. There's a lot there. I'm going to break that down for us in just a moment. When Susan and I look back on our experience with the church. um, We are reminded how much we love the church. It is the body of Christ. We are his representatives in our broken world. And yet, sometimes when Susan and I look at our experience in the church, we wonder, how is it that we still love the church so much? Because we, quite frankly, have been hurt so deeply by the church in the past. And maybe some of you have as well. As much as we'd love the church to be perfect or really good or really healthy all the time, it always it it, it isn't always that way, is it? And so we we have had some very painful experiences uh, in the past. One of those churches was a church in a rural area in Minnesota, and uh, it was a church that was based on the Word and it taught the Word and it valued. The word And it had Sunday school every morning, it had Bible studies during the week, it had sermons from the Bible, it was a little legalistic, um, they had a long-term pastor, I mean like 30 plus years, they had elders who were respected, but they did not adhere to the admonition of elders that is given in this chapter, in First Timothy chapter 5, and it created problems. The leaders in the church were in place mostly by popularity or because of family connections. Uh, they did not deal with sin, as this text tells us as the church, to deal with sin among the elders. So, just as an example, in this church, uh, I had a man come to me from another church and tell me that he was having an affair with a leading woman in the church that I was a part of here. And I went to the lead pastor who dismissed it and said, no, uh, I've heard that before. I said, well, I had the man who talked to me, who's having the affair, tell me he's broken about it. We sat lakeside weeping for a couple of hours because he was so broken about this affair he had been having for a couple of years and no one would do anything about it. The crazy thing about this is that this woman, was teaching all across the state of Minnesota with women's gatherings and so on, but no one would call her to account. And that is just one example of the kind of things that were going on in this church because the leadership was more about popularity and about being liked and it was sort of the good old boys club that really didn't do things uh, the way that the Bible tells us to do things there are stories and stories that we could tell, of course, all of us, I'm sure. Uh, But I just want to remind us that God's word tells us how the church can be safe and be strong and have order if we follow the teaching of God's word that is delineated uh, in it. Um, That church, by the way, now is Um, some years, quite a few years later, it's just a remnant of a few people that are meeting together with uh, little passion, little focus, um, and uh, they're just in survival mode. And it's very, very sad because the church has so much, every church has so much potential. So this passage is about how to bring order and stability, to bring community and spiritual health to a congregation. And if we don't follow the guidelines of God's word, we get the opposite. We have, rather, in the church, we have chaos, we have uncertainty, and we have community and spiritual dysfunction. So this is an important text. That's all I'm trying to say. This is an important text for us to understand what it's, what it's saying about how to have the right kind of church that is healthy and safe. In verse 17, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. That word elder is the Greek word presbyteros. It uh, sometimes refers just to age, but most of the time it's talking about rank or position also. So a lot of times in the early church, especially early on, those who were qualified for leadership were those who were older. And so it kind of became synonymous a lot of times that the position of leadership in the church uh, was given that name as, as elder. So it's it's both age, rank, and position. Um, it says in here, the elders who rule well should be considered uh, worthy of double honor. And that, ru- that word rule, by the way, is kind of a strong word uh, in the English translation, but it really means... In the original language, it means to supervise or to lead or to manage. It literally means to bring order to something. Okay, so it's not like a dictator. Okay, we read about that in First Peter chapter 5, that the shepherd of the church is to serve like the good shepherd. Um, but this is to manage and to um, lead and supervise well in order to bring order. It says that they should be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, it's interesting that word honor is often associated in the New Testament with compensation. In other words, it's not just giving a nice word, although that's important, but it really means that you express in very tangible terms how valuable a person is to you and to you as a church, and to you as a congregation. Um, it's very, very closely associated with that. Um, and it says in this first verse, verse 17, that they should be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And you may say, now why is that? Why preaching, is preaching and teaching so important to the church? Well, I think, I think we know in essence But the elder, oftentimes also that word is used as pastor in the New Testament, um, works so hard at discerning what God wants to tell the congregation, that church. And if you haven't preached or taught, you may not understand how vulnerable you need to be when you discern from God what he has for your church and you lay yourself out there in front of your congregation. There is emotional energy. There is spiritual energy that is expelled in this process. There is a vulnerability uh, there uh, that happens when you preach and teach. And the person, the elder who preaches and and teaches is giving something that is indispensable for the church, we absolutely need to understand what God's word says and how we live that out as his body. And so so the the elder who preaches and teaches is giving something indispensable. They are gifted for the benefit and the edification and the health of the body. And uh, that person especially is to be honored, double honor. Isn't that an interesting term, double honor? It says in verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves its wages. Okay, I I love that that ox picture. Okay, because in that era, of course, uh, they would harvest grain and then they would have the ox trample on the grain to get all the heads beat out of the, maybe the wheat would be the most popular crop that they would beat the, the grain out of. And what you didn't want to do is keep the oxen, from doing their work or discouraging them from getting their work done. And so you don't muzzle the ox. You let it, let it eat a little bit of what it's trampling, okay? So don't muzzle it. Reward it for doing its work so it will work harder. That's kind of the picture here. Don't muzzle the ox. Don't discourage the oxen as they're doing their work. Now, it's probably not that exciting for, let's just say, Pastor Justin to be compared to an ox, okay? But, uh, but in this case, it is comparing the elder who preaches and teaches to an oxen, and you don't want to discourage that oxen. And here, here's what I would say. Having been a pastor who preaches and teaches for, 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 for many years, it can be so easy to discourage a pastor by the way you respond to their preaching and teaching. Susan had to learn this early in our marriage, that the worst time to give me criticism on my, my message on Sunday is right afterwards. And, and early on, you know, at times, Susan would run up to me and she'd go, Ivan, you shouldn't have said that. And I tell you, it's just like pulling a plug on my and It's just like, I'm just like deflated. I could just, I just felt like I couldn't even hardly get my body home afterwards because you give everything out there. And Uh, It isn't that you have to agree with everything that is taught, but you have to honor the elder who preaches and teaches in a word that does not, in a way, that does not discourage them from doing their very best again and again and again. And probably a better question is not, how should I not discourage, but how can I encourage? How can I help those elders among us and especially those who preach and teach, who are worthy of double honor, how can I encourage them to do their very, very best again and again and again? How can I honor them in a way that will help them to do that? That is a great question that every church really needs to ask because it will pay off a lot. I have... um, Susan and I have a a friend named Bill. And even though we were not in a uh, local church when we moved from Minnesota to Florida, we moved in a season when the housing market was awful. And it was financial suicide for Susan and myself to leave Minnesota and move to Florida. But we knew God was calling us, so we did. And we really lost everything. And uh, uh, we were in a really tough situation and we have this friend who came alongside of us and said, I'm making it my personal mission to help you get ahead financially. And uh, over about a three-year period, this person raised and gave us $25,000 to help with some of the debt that we had. Now, I can't tell you what that meant to us Not just the money, but to know that someone believed in us enough to tangibly encourage us with this massive amount of money because we followed God's lead to a hard situation. Now that's just one example of what it means to not muzzle the ox while it's treading out its grain. Instead, that helps Susan and myself to be so energized and to feel God's affirmation and what he was calling us to do. And we worked harder than ever. So here we, this is the section that talks about how to honor your leaders or how to honor your elders. Here's the next section here, verses 19 through 21. I'm going to hit this quickly. (coughs) It says, let the elders who No, it says, uh, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging doing nothing from partiality. So there are kind of three pieces to this next section and I call this creating safety and stability for your church. So number one, it says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And I'll just tell you this. Why why would Paul say this to Timothy? It's because your church is a part of a spiritual battle. There is spiritual warfare that happens. And if the enemy wants to take a church down, he'll take down its elders or its leaders, okay? It will take them down. And so there are those who, um, who are vengeful or who might have a vendetta and they wanna take the leader down. And uh, there has to be some order. You can't just take a charge against anybody and everybody against an elder. Um, so there has to be at least two, Uh, who bring a charge against someone. I love, I came across this little story, this old story about a pastor who is trying to defend himself against criticism. And he said, there's a story going about um, that I told my wife not to go to a certain church that has wild meetings. They say my wife went anyway, and I dragged her out of the church by her hair, and I hurt her so badly she had to go to the hospital. Let me respond to those accusations. First of all, I never told her to stay away from that church. Second, I didn't drag her out by her, her, her hair. Third, she never had to go to the hospital. Lastly, I've never been married, so I don't even have a wife. <laughs> I love that. And I have to tell you, and uh, Pastor Justin would probably agree, that sometimes the things that come out about us are totally from left field. Because we're a part of a spiritual battle, and the enemy will take any and every opportunity to bring harm and to bring us down. With that idea of spiritual warfare, John Kelvin explains some reasons why people are so quick to receive an accusation against a pastor or elder when perhaps they should not. He he says, the more sincerely any pastor strives to further Christ's kingdom, the more he is loaded with spite the more fierce do the attacks upon him come. And not only so, but as soon as any charge is made against ministers of the word, (coughs) it is believed as surely and firmly as as if it had already been proved. This happens not only because a higher standard of integrity is required from them, but because Satan makes most people, in fact nearly everyone, over-credulous so that without investigation, They eagerly condemn their pastors whose good name they ought to be defending. John Calvin just writes, I think, fairly accurately about the dynamics of spiritual warfare in a congregation. And Paul writes to Timothy and says there's a way to protect yourself from this. Do not receive the accusation except on the account of at least two witnesses. And then look at the next verse. Again, this is about safety and stability for your church. As for those who persist in sin, we could say, uh, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. That's a scary verse. Because if there is a leader of the church, an elder who who is living in sin or acting in sin somehow that that is wrong and it is addressed and that elder is unwilling to face it, to deal with it, to change. If they fail to be remorseful, if, what, you know, if, if they persist in that sin, then it says you need to go public with that sin and rebuke them in the presence of all. That word rebuke literally means to bring them to account. So this is a hard statement. And I, I, as I read this in the text, there's kind of a part of me that kind of cringes a little bit. And yet, Um, this is so important for the church, again, to stay healthy because especially if the leaders are not held to a high standard, it filters down in the church. And this is something that Susan and I have seen many times in the different churches that we have been a part of through the years. And it's not a pretty thing. God knows what it takes. Um, Persistent, undealt sin requires courageous action and that is to go public um, if it is not dealt with. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with uh, greater strictness. There is something very important about the role we have as elders of leaders in the church, especially those who preach and teach God's word. And so uh, there is this, this um, strong admonition to make sure that there is accountability. Uh, Susan and I <coughs> were part of a, well, it's the church Susan actually grew up in. There was a pastor who actually had, had been abusing boys for thir- over 30 years and accusations were brought against him, but he was surrounded with the good old boys club that protected him, and did not deal with the sin in his life. And um, what's really sad is my very first funeral as a young pastor was one of those 14-year-old boys that he had abused, that he committed suicide because of the abuse he took from that pastor. And those are the things, now it's a horrible, horrible story, horrible story. But here again, it's because this text was not followed the way it was written Um, in the Bible Um, we're going to look at the last few verses verses 22 through 25 do not be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sins of others keep yourself pure let's go to verse 24 the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment but the sins of others appear later so also good works are conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden and let, let, me just, let me just summarize these last few verses in a very simple way. It says, don't, don't quickly confirm the leadership or eldership of those in your congregation. Because for some people, their sins are obvious. But for others, it's, it's, it's hidden, but it's going to come out in time. And for some people, they may be really, really amazing, deeply spiritual people who are doing great things and following hard after God, but it's not that obvious until later on you find out who they really are. So it says, don't be hasty in affirming those who uh, are your elders, who are your leaders in your church. Do it, but make sure you know who they are. Because once you lay hands on them, once you affirm them as your leaders and as your elders, their sin becomes your sin as a church. Okay, Their character represents your character as a church. And so it's just saying, don't be hasty. Be careful that you really know who you are affirming as elders in your church. And then hold them to account and honor them, even doubly honor them, especially those who preach and teach God's word. Church life is to be a beautiful environment of love, of grace, of experiencing Christ together, of impacting your community for the glory of God, of seeing lives changed and transformed. And I absolutely believe that the church can be And is meant to be the closest thing to heaven on earth. And that is what we need to strive to pursue. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the very practical word from your word. Um, Seeing how you want your church to function, especially among its leaders, but as a whole congregation and the part we all have in that. Lord, we just pray that um, your hand of favor and blessing and leadership would be on One Hope Church, that whatever you have for this congregation in the months and years ahead, that you would lead and guide every step of the way. We especially pray for Pastor Justin and his family and pray that you would give them strength and health and joy and uh, a clear leading from you, Lord, as they lead this church. We love you, and we worship you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.